Well, let's uh, turn our attention to God's Word this morning. If you have a copy of Scripture, I'd encourage you to take that out, get that on your lap, put it in front of you, and uh, you can open up to the book of John. Uh, If you were here last week, you got one of our uh, Scripture journals. If you weren't here last week and you want one of those, uh, we've still got more. Uh, we got plenty of extras, so um, uh, you can grab one. Um, If you really want to get one, you can go up and get one now. If that's going to bother you all all sermon, you need to kind of be taking notes in there. There's some at the back in that... uh, Connection Center. Otherwise, grab one on your way out. That's a gift to you. But we're going to be walking through the book of John together uh, for the next uh, year or so. I said last week it's going to take us a while. Uh, we're going to take some detours along the way and, and pause a little bit, but it's going to take us uh, some time to, to walk through this. And what we're doing is we are uh, following uh, Jesus through the eyes of his, uh, one of his best earthly friends, Uh, John the Disciple. Uh, He's known as John the Beloved, or the one that Jesus loved, and uh, he penned his account of the gospel uh, long after the others had been written. uh, Toward the end of his life, he wanted to share, uh, we said last week, sort of this heavenly perspective, right? The divinity of Jesus comes through in this, and all of it is written with this kind of singular focus, this singular intent that you would see and be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing that, that you will find life in his name. And so uh, I'm so excited uh, to continue on and, and to continue on in our, our study in this, uh, this, this series here. And we uh, looked last week at the prologue, uh, kind of the, um, the intro to the entire book and the entire story. And, and what John is doing there is he's setting us up. Uh, He's giving us sort of a lens from which that we can view the rest of the narrative, uh, the way that we can see the rest of the story, the rest of the the miracles and the teachings and everything that we see Jesus doing. We kind of know some things that the people that are experiencing it with him don't know. And that's the whole point is he wants to kind of set the stage for us. And we certainly could have broken that passage down into multiple weeks. There's so much there, but we wanted to kind of look at all of it together. This morning, as we continue on, we are getting into what is actually now uh, the, the narrative and sort of the account of Jesus. And it doesn't begin with Jesus. It begins with the forerunner to Jesus, the one who came uh, before that. And to kind of set the stage for us this morning, um, I wonder if you've uh, kind of heard of or seen uh, this thing. I'm sure like if, if you're online at all, I don't know, maybe they just target me. Maybe I don't know if they were targeting you too, but, but masterclass, have you heard about these masterclasses? Um, they, uh, I must have watched one of them at some point because I feel like they pop up for me all the time. And then I, I am kind of captivated, but like, I love to learn. I love to see new things and kind of do everything. So I find myself watching these all the time. Um, and uh, yeah, there's the, this is kind of the, the website. Their, their tagline is, learn from the best, be your best. And if you don't know what this is, Masterclass is uh, just kind of this, this website, and it all, all this training kind of exists online, but they take some of the best in their field, right? The best in their, uh, their, their class, and they teach a class on how you can uh, learn like they did and do what they did and kind of be uh, like they did. And so whatever the field, whether it be at communication or business or cooking or interior, you know, decorating or design. And I think they've really started kind of branching out recently. I saw um, that one, one of the videos that kind of popped up was, um, was on sandcastle building. 
I didn't even know that I wanted to increase my skills on Sandcastle Building until I saw that. And I'm like, man, now I kind of want to sign up. Like, I just, I got to know. I got to know what I'm missing. And I, you know, I got to be honest. Like, my Sandcastle game is okay, uh, but it's not great. It's certainly not the best that it could be. And so, you know, if I'm going to do that, I should learn from uh, the best. That was part of the series that's called The Goats, right? The greatest of all time. And so you're learning how to build sandcastles from the greatest sandcastle builders of all time. You know, all information that we really want to know, right? But if you're learning, isn't that what we want to do? Isn't that, isn't that if like, we want to grow in something, don't we want to learn from the best, right? Like if we're, if we're going to take some lessons, if we're going to give our time to somebody, if we're going to like let somebody speak into it, we want to know that they know what they're talking about, right? That there's some proven methods, some proven ways, some proven uh, skills that they can pass on to us, well, this morning, uh, as we begin in, in, in following Jesus through this gospel, uh, we're looking at what is, um, I don't know if you know this, but, but there's someone who is referred to as the greatest person in history. Now, certainly Jesus Christ is the greatest person in history, but, but after Jesus, Jesus actually called this person uh, the greatest. And, and who it is, is known as John the Baptist, and, and, and John the Baptist was, was an incredible uh, witness, the, the forerunner of Jesus. We already met him last week in the uh, prologue where it says in John 1, uh, 5 through 8, it says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the, <clears throat> excuse me, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Uh, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so we know from John already that John is a witness to the light of God, to Jesus Christ, to the Messiah. And Jesus, in one of the other gospels, Matthew 11, 11 refers to him as like the greatest that's ever lived. He says this, this is, this is pretty high praise to have said of you by Jesus himself. He said, truly I say to you, of those among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least of the kingdom is greater than he. I mean, that's quite a statement to say. And so he's, he's the greatest. And he is, uh, he's an incredible witness. And he is uh, specifically commissioned by God to witness uh, about Jesus and who he is and what he was coming to do. And he's preparing the way for Jesus to come. And here's why this matters for us this morning. Before we go any further, I think maybe we just need to kind of get on the same page. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are part of the team of witnesses. Like we're not just meant to follow Jesus, we are meant to witness to who he is and what he's done. We are all witnesses. And so there's not any one of us. I mean, we hear an incredible story, what great timing, but to hear from Joel and Miriam, you're like, man, they are incredible witnesses in a place that desperately needs it. But it's not just for people that uproot and leave. We are all called to be witnesses wherever we go. Jesus made this abundantly clear to his followers. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I mean, look at that saying there. Did he expect those 12 to truly carry it all the way to the end of the earth on their own? Like this is just given to you 12 no more? Certainly, even in the command, right? Even in the, the challenge that's issued, there's no way it's going to the end of the world if that was only given to those original 12. So he gave it to them, but then he said 
to all of those, right? Everyone who would come after him would be to witness to who Jesus is. And so we are all witnesses. And so I don't know if you knew that walking in this morning, but, but you are a witness to Jesus and what he has done. And so if we want to be a better witness, right? If we want to grow in our witness, I think what we have here is just kind of a little mini masterclass from the greatest witness about how we can grow in our own witness. The title this morning is a witness masterclass, right? So you can kind of picture John sort of sitting down and he's got, you know, hey, let me tell you my three tips and tricks and all this stuff. You know, he he doesn't quite do that, but what we're gonna see is in his observation of who he is and what he's doing. Just this little snapshot we have right at the beginning of the gospel is a little bit of a masterclass on what it takes to be a witness for Jesus, Uh, If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's kind of the big idea that's going to carry us this morning. It's this, is that we can grow in our witness by learning from the greatest witness, right? He was, Jesus referred to him as the greatest. He was the witness to the light sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, so we're going to look at the life of John the Baptist, and as we do, I think it's helpful just to kind of maybe learn a little bit about who he is, because John, the uh, gospel writer John, doesn't take a lot of time to give us some of the background. You see, again, by this point in time, the, the, uh, what we refer to as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have already been written. And so some of the historical count has already been recorded. John's not super uh, interested in that. That's, that's not the kind of goal of what he's doing. But some of that does help kind of shape us a little bit in, in our understanding. Um, see, again, he's writing to a group of people that probably knew or heard or, or had some understanding of who John the Baptist is. And so just for us, we should probably have some understanding going into this. The other Gospels give a more historical account, but uh, some of you may maybe know this, but, but in case you don't, there, there's a... The, the history of John, he actually had a pretty miraculous birth. Uh, an angel visited his dad. Uh, he was a priest in the temple, Zechariah, and said that he was going to uh, his wife Elizabeth, even though she was late in years, had not been, they had not been able to have kids uh, for their entire marriage, uh, that she was going to give birth to uh, a baby boy. And that boy was going to have a special task. He gave him the name John and that he was going to be this witness to God's work, and and someone who was going to come after him. And there wasn't a whole lot of more details about that. And so sure enough, uh, John was born. We actually learned that John is related to Jesus. He's kind of Jesus's cousin. Uh, He was born about six months before Jesus was. And so Jesus begins his ministry about the age of 30. And so uh, about six months, um, you know, uh, older is now John. And he's beginning his ministry around that same time. And what John is doing is John kind of lives in obscurity. We don't really see much about the life of John other than we learn that he's kind of living in the wilderness. Uh, He has a little funny diet. He has a diet of locusts and honey. Um, I don't know if any of you are into that. I'm sure, um, you know, that that feels like there's always new fads. I don't know if that one's come along yet, but the locust and honey diet is is the one that he was uh, kind of on. And uh, he was a Nazarene. He lived in the wilderness. He wore uh, kind of a a cloak, like a, um, I don't know, I kind of picture like Luke Skywalker or something like that. He had like camel hair cloak and uh, it was kind of this outspoken, bold, brash uh, preacher um, from the country. And, and he is preaching this message, which is starting to get some traction uh, with the people. And people are coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from even further, and they're, they're coming out into the wilderness, and they're hearing this message. And what's the message that John is preaching? He's preaching a message of repentance. 
repentance. He's, he's speaking about the coming Messiah, but the message that he's bringing is that we need to repent to be prepared to get ready for the Messiah to come. And so it's this message of repentance that's happening. It's getting some traction. Because you have to understand that for 400 years, there hasn't been a prophet of the Lord. Like God has not been speaking through prophets. There's been this period of silence. And so for 400 years, for generations now, there hasn't been a prophet. And so uh, we can refer to John as the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher. Uh, He broke the silence. God is now speaking through him. And so he's getting some traction. There's this following. People are coming out and they're getting baptized. And I don't know if you've ever kind of thought about this, but why were they getting baptized? They were baptized. They're getting baptized to identify with this message of repentance. And so they're acknowledging that they have fallen short of God's glory, that they are in need of uh, forgiveness and they are repenting of their sin, of their wrongdoing before the Lord. And as an outward sign of that, heart commitment toward God, they are getting baptized. And people are coming. People are, are responding to it. And it's becoming, it's like, you know, we would say now, it's like he's trending, right? He's like, it's, it's getting a little viral. Like people are kind of, you know, getting on board with this. But, but, but he's getting noticed by some of the religious leaders. And so this is where we pick it up. This is where the gospel of John dump, jumps in is when the ministry of John is starting to pick up um, a little bit of uh, speed here. And uh, let's go ahead and look at our our passage this morning. Uh, Let's jump into it. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, uh, we come to uh, the text. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Some were saying Christ there is, again, synonymous with Messiah. Uh, Some were thinking that he is the Messiah. Like here he's preaching this message, but maybe he actually is the Messiah. This is kind of one of the things that people were beginning to suspect or maybe, you know, suggest and kind of questioning. And so they're coming to see. And they asked him um, if he is or, or, you know, who are you? And he says, I am not the Christ. Verse 21. They asked him then, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. All right, you see it's getting like shorter and shorter. I am not the Christ. I am not. No. All right, then they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? You see, uh, what we see here, what's happening, is that there's this delegation that is being sent. Notice it says um, that when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, uh, as we walk through the book of John together, we're going to see this phrase, the Jews, used 70 times. 70 times throughout the book, this is going to be used. And it's helpful for us to kind of have some context around it. When John uses Jews, he's not really meaning it or ever intending it in the sort of ethnic or racial sense. What he's referring to is kind of, it's, it's sort of the word he uses oftentimes referring to opposition to Jesus, right? It's coming from the ethnic people of the Jews, but really it's sort of like kind of the, the word for the religious the religious rulers, kind of the whole, uh, the whole system, like all of that together, they sent, the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. So sometimes John uses the Jews in sort of a neutral sense. Sometimes it's more in the negative sense. It's rarely in kind of a positive sense. It's not that he's down on the Jews, but that's, this is this opposition. You're going to see again, 70 times, there's going to be opposition to Jesus throughout. And he says that they, these are sending these. So the priests, the Levites, these all had tasks and, and roles, responsibilities within the temple. They're coming from Jerusalem and they need to figure out, okay, who is this guy? 
right? We said he's beginning to have this, this following. People are coming. People are getting baptized. Like there's this, this little bit of movement that is uh, beginning here in that. And they ask him, who are you? You know, implied in that question is kind of probably the most common um, suggestion that was being made is that John, maybe he is the Messiah that has come. And so they're kind of asking that. That's essentially what the, uh, again, the root of that question is, is are you the Messiah? Who are you? And, and, and the people of God were looking for the Messiah to come. They didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but was it a priestly Messiah? Was it a kingly Messiah who was going to establish his, his political rule or an overthrow the Roman government? Or was it more of a, a prophetic Messiah that was going to speak for God? They, there's lots of different sort of opinions about that, but they knew that God had promised his chosen one, his sent one who was going to come and was going to act, work, lead the people of God. And so they're waiting the Messiah to come. And they're like, John, you with your locusts and your honey and your Jedi cloak, like, are you, are you the Messiah? And he's like, I am not the Christ. Not the Christ. And they're like, okay, well, what about Elijah? Are you Elijah? Uh, Mike Malachi 4.5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they were reading their Bibles, right? And they knew that before the Messiah comes, Elijah was going to come. And they're like, well, maybe you're Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And Elijah preached a message of repentance. That was one of his central themes. Elijah kind of dressed in uh, little, um, you know, kind of the, the cloak and, and, uh, and, and animal fur and, and some of that. But Elijah was, was caught up in the clouds. He didn't actually die. He was uh, received into heaven by, by God, took him up. And so they, they, people thought that someday Elijah's going to return and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so they're like, are you Elijah? <laughs> Is that you, Elijah? Are you back? And, uh, and he says, no, I am not Elijah. Now, we don't want to be confused here. Uh, Jesus, in one of the other uh, gospels, says that uh, John, in fact, was Elijah. So what's going on? All right, uh, apparent contradiction here. Here he's saying he's not Elijah. Jesus says he is. What's, what's going on there? Well, it was never intended. I think the uh, meaning becomes clear that it was never that Elijah himself was going to return, but rather someone was going to come in the spirit of Elijah is another phrase that's used. And so John the Baptist was not Elijah, like not reincarnate or sort of revisited, re-returned Elijah. Uh, he was a prophet in the spirit of Elijah, preaching a similar message being used in a similar way, uh, but he was um, like Elijah in that way, but not Elijah himself. And then they're like, well, are you the prophet? And uh, I think the understanding here is Moses, um, Moses spoke of a prophet that was gonna come in Deuteronomy 18, 15. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, and from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him that you shall listen. Verse 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. They're like, well, if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah, are you the prophet? We're waiting for the prophet. And uh, they didn't know who the prophet or when the prophet was going to come. Is the prophet going to be a forerunner to the Messiah or is it the Messiah himself? I think kind of this side of it, we see that, that uh, well, clearly 
John was not the prophet, but Jesus was the prophet. He was the one that was saying and doing the things that God had commanded, the words that had been uh, spoken to him. But they, they said, are you this prophet? You're not a prophet, but the prophet. And he said, no, I am not. Who are you then? He's like, this isn't super helpful, okay? We came here to get answers. You can kind of sense the frustration, right? They're like, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. We can't just be like, well, we didn't figure out who he is. We know who he's not, all right? We got three things checked off, so um, you know, that's, that's not good enough. He's like, you gotta tell us who you are. Look at what it says. He continues on in verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? He's like, what, what's up with that? Like, we're gonna get to that in a second. Why, why, why this baptism? If you are neither the Christ nor the Elijah nor the prophet, they're basically asking, what authority do you have to baptize? Right? If you're not one of them, then, then who do you think you are? Is kind of what they're asking. And John answered, he says, listen, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy, not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Um, just a little note for the uh, kind of geography nerds in the room. Um, we're not totally sure where this Bethany is. We know where Bethany near Jerusalem is. That's where um, Lazarus and his sisters uh, kind of lived, and there's some ministry that happens there. Uh, we're going to come to that later, but this Bethany sort of beyond Jordan is not totally sure, but it's kind of in this wilderness rural area just on the other side of the Jordan um, River. Uh, I had the opportunity this past spring to visit the Jordan River, sort of near where we think this may have been, but, but it wasn't that far away. I mean, a day's journey from Jerusalem, you can get to the Jordan River. And so somewhere kind of near that, it would have also been near the place that, um, just kind of for, uh, for fun, just to kind of connect some dots, this would have been near the place that the Israelite people would have first crossed into the Promised Land. It's kind of in that same region. But we don't exactly know where Bethany was across the Jordan. Um, that exact location has not been uh, sort of retained. But he's doing it near the Jordan River in this place, kind of rural country, and here's what's going on. But what does he say? He says, listen, I am the voice. And I am not even worthy to untie or unstrap the sandal of the one who comes after me. And here's the first thing, okay? Masterclass, right? We want to learn from the greatest. If we're going to witness, like John witness, what are we learning here today? Here's lesson number one. There needs to be humility in the messenger. Humility in the messenger. You have to understand the popularity and the clout that John was starting to have. Like again, for, for centuries, no one has had this type of following, this sort of message, this sort of speaking for the Lord that was happening. God is using him in an extremely unique way, and people are responding. Again, this is kind of one of the most exciting things that's going down. I mean, the temple was all sort of up in arms about this. The Pharisees, the Levites, the priests, the, all the people, they're there, and they're trying to figure this out because it's like, this is a big deal. John is becoming a big deal, right? And they're asking him, hey, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? He's like, no, I'm not any of that. Then who are you? What does he say? He says, I'm just a voice. I'm a mouthpiece for the Lord. He quotes the words of Isaiah, make straight the way of the Lord. This is all that he's doing. He's just crying out in the wilderness. He's trying to, to speak of the one who's coming after him. 
And here's the thing, if we want to be used of the Lord, if we want to give witness to the Lord, we have to understand that we are not the focal point, right? We are not the, big, the main attraction. It is the one that we speak of. John understood this well. He had humility in himself. He goes on to explain that further, right? Maybe the context is lost a little bit on us, but he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. He's like, Jesus is here, not necessarily here that day. We're gonna see the next day Jesus comes, but, but he's like, Jesus is among us, and you don't know who he is. You don't recognize him just yet, but let me tell you about him. He says, he comes, even though he comes after me, I'm unworthy to even unstrap his sandal. What does that mean? Well, in the day, I mean, if you followed, uh, Jesus was a rabbi and, and a teacher, and so if you followed a rabbi and you were one of the disciples of a rabbi, they could ask you to do whatever uh, they kind of wanted to do, right? Some of you have done an internship. Uh, some of you have done uh, maybe an unpaid internship, and uh, maybe at times you had to do some things in that internship. You know, you had to get some coffee or run copies or sweep the, you know, sweep the break room or kind of you know, do whatever. There's lots of little menial tasks that you may have had to do. And same was true for disciples of a rabbi. If they were following someone around, they would be asked to do all sorts of tasks and things. But one thing that a disciple was never asked to do because it was below and beneath even them, was to unstrap the sandal of their teacher and to wash his feet. Why? Because the feet were like nasty, y'all. Like it was like, it was, it, like you have to put it in context, right? They would walk on these roads, and what else was on roads? Animals. What happens when animals are kind of traveling? If you've ever been to a parade, like, you know, the people that get tasked with that, you know, they kind of have those buckets and those things. And they try and make it fun. But they're like, they're, you know, they're shoveling up the, you know, the leftovers of these animals kind of coming through. Well, on the roads, I mean, the roads were like nasty. And so some of you, you already have an aversion to feet. Like you would have really had a hard time <laughs> kind of in that culture, okay? Because that was kind of a regular thing. If you showed up at somebody's house, um, you, you needed to kind of get your feet cleaned. And oftentimes there was a, um, a servant or a slave or somebody that would, would do that. But that was the job of the slave, never the disciple. You would be asked to do a whole lot of things, but, but you would never be asked to do that. That was for the slaves and even the lowest of the slaves, the servants, Right? And so by saying this, what is John saying? What is he saying when he says that I am not even worthy? He's saying, listen, the one who's coming, this, this Messiah who is to come, the strap of his sandal, I'm not even worthy of untying. Like what an incredible understanding of God's glory and the greatness, the, the supremacy of Jesus that John understood, Right? Like, we have to have this sort of understanding around Jesus and who he is. Like, we're not even worthy to unstrap his sandal. Who are we to be a mouthpiece or a voice for his message? This is what, Jesus, this is what John is understanding here. He had humility. We've said it here before. It's not original to me, but it's, I think it's been said many times. But, but humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Right? Like he's, he's bold and he's brash and he is, he's not willing. I mean, he, he says some, some pretty bold things, right? Like he calls, um, he, he throws down some pretty intense words against um, uh, those, those religious leaders. And so it's not this lack of boldness or this lack of confidence that John has, but right? He's not thinking of himself often or putting himself in an unworthy position. And I just think, you know, even this truth right here, humility in the messenger, 
I think this can both bring some of us up and lift some of us, or sorry, bring some of us down and lift some of us up, and we probably need a little bit of both. See, some of you, some of you, you have insecurity in your witness because you think that you don't have everything that it takes, right? Like, I'm not a great communicator. I, I can't articulate things well. When I get in those types of situations or I start to kind of speak about those things, I fumble over the words. I can't remember the verses. I'm not good at memorizing. Like, I don't know if I have what it takes to be a good witness for Jesus. And some of you think that it kind of rests on you. Well, here's, for you, I think you need to be kind of lifted up a little bit and, and understand that humility, that inadequacy, that's sort of like, ah, oh, man, I just don't know if I can do this well. That's exactly what you need to bring to the table. Because it's not your kind of, your uh, great communication, uh, your charming kind of wit that you're kind of bringing to the table, your ability to convince somebody of something. That is not what Jesus needs from you. He needs you to tell of the way that he has worked in your life. That's what he's looking for from you. He just wants you to tell the story, give witness to who he is and what he has done. And so if you feel inadequate, that's amazing. That's actually a really great place to start. John felt super inadequate and super unworthy of doing the thing that he was doing. Some of us maybe need to be lifted up by this truth. Others of us, maybe we need to be brought down. Some of us, we, we think, if we're honest, we don't often say it this way, but if we're honest, we're like, God's pretty lucky to have me on the team, right? Like... You know, team got an upgrade when, when I kind of joined, right? And we're, we're kind of bringing something to it. Like, man, I, I'm really kind of doing well here. I've, I've kind of, you know, created some, man, this is good. Again, we don't say that, but if we're honest, I think sometimes we, we think that we have some things that we're kind of bringing to the table. And the idea here is that, listen, I think just about every sin can be traced back in some way to the root of pride, right? When we think of ourselves as high, higher than we ought, more often than we ought, right, in a way that we shouldn't, this leads toward um, sin. Pride is a sin. It's destructive, right? Pride goes before the fall. Some of us, we need to be just reminded of the humility that is needed to bring this message to bear to others. And so I just tell you this morning that we are all, we're witnesses, and we need humility in ourselves. Our character needs to be marked by one of humility. I'm not even worthy to tell this message. Who am I that Jesus would choose me that he would save me, and then furthermore, that he would invite me to tell others about him. But that's exactly what he's done. John understood that. He's just saying the message that, that God gave him, and he's out there um, just preaching in the way that God has done. But he's not doing it from his own ability, his own anything. Again, he's getting this following, and he's like, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of the one who comes after me. Let's continue on. Look at verse um, uh, uh, 29. What we're going to see in this is, you can write this down. Let me show it to you in the text. The lesson, second lesson that we get here is that there's uh, humility in the messenger, there's clarity in the message. John is very clear about the message which he is bringing, the person whom which he is witnessing about. Verse 29 says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. 
I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the next day. Not often do we get consecutive days uh, throughout the gospel, uh, but this is one of the places we're going to get a three-day chunk, all right? So we're in day two here. The next day after the Jews uh, and the delegation came, uh, Jesus comes, um, comes forward here. And again, what we see here is there's clarity in the message, right? There's clarity around who Jesus is. To kind of put it in context, this isn't when Jesus is baptized. This is after Jesus is baptized, my guess is, or kind of I think the best understanding would be that, that Jesus was baptized six weeks earlier from this. How do we know that? Well, because right after Jesus was baptized, what happened? Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted uh, by the enemy. Satan himself tempted Jesus for uh, 40 days. So about six weeks transpire. And so Jesus has been baptized by John. That's what he references here. He's back. He's coming there again. And then he looks up and he's like, well, there's Jesus. He's like, behold, what does he say? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John had a proper Christology, a good understanding of who the Messiah is and who Jesus is. And he makes this declaration here, the Lamb of God. And so many places that this could go to. Early on, we see Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament tells the story of, of a sacrifice that was asked for by, of Abraham, and they, they went there, and the sacrifice was supposed to be Isaac, and Isaac's asking, God, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And, and he, uh, Abraham replies that, that God will supply it, and, and there was, there was a, um, an animal, a, 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 a lamb a, um, that was uh, provided, like kind of a ram caught in, in the, so maybe it's kind of that, or, or Isaiah talks about um, like a lamb led to slaughter, um, but I think maybe the best place that, that, that kind of the minds of, of those reading would have gone to is the Passover lamb, right? Israel was in captivity before uh, in Egypt and, 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 and God was working out these miracles. And then one of the final miracles, the final miracle that happened was um, uh, the oldest child, right? The oldest male of the household was uh, going to die if there wasn't blood over the doorpost of that house. And so that night, uh, the Israelites took, sacrificed the lamb, wiped the blood over the doorpost, and when the Spirit of God came, it passed over the houses uh, that had the blood over it. And so the blood of the lamb saved all the homes that had the blood on it. And so this kind of picture is, is there, but basically it is, we don't know exactly kind of John's understanding at this moment. We know what it is later, right? We know what we know by the end of the book, but at this moment, I think what he sees, I think the point is clear is this, is that this is the sacrifice the sacrificial uh, uh, offering given by God, the Lamb of God given, why? To take away the sins of the world. And I'm so glad that it doesn't just say to take away sins, right? It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for this people of God. It was for the world. It was for all who would receive him. He came to take away the sin of the world. This is why Jesus came. Right? Make no mistake about it. This is the central reason that Jesus came, was to take away the sin of the world that he created. He was winning men and women back to himself. And so at this moment, right, John has already baptized him, and now the next day it's like, oh man, funny we should talk. Like here's, look, behold, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. He goes on to kind of talk a little bit more about him. He says, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Okay, again, 
John's older, right? He's cousin John, six months older. He's like, even though I was born before him, he outranks me because he existed before me. Right? We looked at that last week. He's, he's existed for eternity. Jesus is, has always been. And he's like, I didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that I might be revealed to Israel. You see, growing up, it's not like they knew or Jesus, uh, John knew that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. I'm sure, like at family gatherings, all the reunions, you know, all the cousins are together, like Jesus is doing his Jesus thing, right? Not getting in trouble, like, you know, kind of always, always kind of doing the thing, right? All, all of that. I'm sure there was something kind of unique about him, but he didn't know he was the Messiah. When did John figure out that he's the Messiah? It says right here, when I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. Just kind of side note, the Spirit didn't descend as a dove, he descended like a dove. It wasn't a dove. Okay, a dove did not come and rest on Jesus' head. It was like a dove. Maybe it was light, maybe it was fire, but it was like a dove that came and rest on Jesus' head. But notice, notice, careful Bible reading, what does it say here? It says it came like a dove and what? It remained on him. That's the key indicator. Because it says, I didn't know who was gonna be sent after me, but what did God tell him? He says, he whom you see, the spirit will descend and remain This is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to leaders, often at times when they needed it. So prophets, kings, judges, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but but then he would leave. And then the Spirit would come upon, and then he would leave, and come upon and leave. But, But something unique happened at the baptism of Jesus. He saw the Holy Spirit, like a dove, come upon Jesus, and then it stayed. See, the uniqueness or the kind of the difference of this, this is like permanently chosen and indwelled by the Spirit. You see, Jesus was always led by the Spirit of God. This is an incredible truth for us. If Jesus needed to be led by the Spirit of God, how much more do we need to be led by the Spirit of God? But the Spirit of God permanently came upon him, and so that's how John knew that this was the Christ, the Messiah. And how did John know to look for that? I think a couple of things. I think John knew his Bible, right? John didn't have all the New Testament writing that you and I have. John had the Old Testament. And so what John had done for those 30 years was he was preparing for this day. He's reading his Bible and he's looking for the signs and he's seeking after God and, 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 and trying to learn who is the Messiah. If I'm gonna speak, if I'm gonna prepare for him, if I'm gonna point the way, I need to know who he is. And so he's studying his Bible and he's listening to, responding to, walking by the leading of God. God's spirit was at work in that. You know, two things I think that are so needed and true for us. Listen, if we're gonna take this master class from John, we're gonna learn in this way. We need clarity around our mission, our message, right? You and I, we have to be crystal clear on who Jesus is and who he's not. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's God's sacrifice sent for us, sent to take away the sins of the world. That's why Jesus came. He's the Son of God. That's the declaration that it ends with. He says he had borne witness that this is the Son of God. It's God himself. We saw that last week. Listen, you and I, we need a proper Christology, just like John. We need to understand who Jesus is. That's why this book is so, so good for us. That's why I'm excited for this year ahead, because we need to shore up on our understanding of who the Son of God is, who the Messiah is, who is Jesus Christ. That's why John wrote that you would believe and that by believing you would have life in his name. We need clarity around this message. How do we get it? 
all right, I don't have some kind of crazy new method or new trick or, or way for you to do it. How do you get, how do you have a better understanding, clarity around the message? You need to be in your Bible. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to search it. You need to reread it. You need to memorize it. You need to discuss it with others. You need to apply it. Listen, church, we have to be in our Bibles. We got to know the word of God. There is no other place for us. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have sat with somebody, talked with someone, and they're like, man, God just feels kind of distant right now. And I ask, How, how's your time in God's word going? Well, it's not really there. It's not going to be there. Like, he's never going to feel present to you if you are not in the written word that he's given you. And you know what? I don't want to, like, boil it down to this, but listen, church, this is so, so good for us. This isn't like a checklist sort of thing, like, hey, you know, read your Bibles, read your Bibles. Like, this is, we need the life that this has for us. We need the direction that this gives us. We cannot find this anywhere else. Our proper Christology will not come from external books, podcasts, other things about it. Those are helpful. Those can enhance, certainly, but that is not the primary place. We need to be in our Bibles, and we need to be walking by, being led by the Spirit of God. He can lead us into a greater understanding. We have to have clarity around the message of who Jesus Christ is. Church, this is why we're studying. I've been so encouraged. Several of you have told me, hey, I took your challenge seriously. Last week, I said, hey, every day this week, read the prologue. At some point, try and read the entire book of John. If you can, do it in one sitting. If you can't do it this week, that's okay. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. Like, still do it, right? At some point, read it. And, and several of you, several of you have told me. I'm sure there's others that haven't told me. But you said, hey, I did it. And God really used that. Like, that was such a good exercise. It was so helpful to see all of that. If you haven't done it yet, can I just encourage you again, read the gospel of John. Read and reread it. Read it in one sitting, but then begin adding that to you. Like, let's look at and understand and be reminded of who Jesus Christ is. Clarity around the message is needed if we are gonna be a proper witness for Jesus. Let's look at the third lesson. We see it right here. Let me show it to you. John 1, 35 through 37, it says this. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, Okay, so these are two of John's disciples, right? He had this following around him. People were following him. He had disciples, and he looked, and as Jesus walked by, so this is day three, Jesus walks by again, <laughs> and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, right? How fun would it have been to just hang around? Like, hey, look at that. It's Jesus, Lamb of God. And what did the two disciples do? They heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. They followed him. The third lesson is this, singularity in the mission. Singularity in the mission. John understood the mission that he was on. His mission was to point people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that they would begin to follow after him. John was not trying to amass a following around himself. He was trying to point others to the person of Jesus Christ. There is singularity in the mission. Listen, church, around here, city on a hill, we say it this way, our mission the mission of our church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you've ever wondered, what are we trying to do as a church? That is it. We are trying to make disciples, glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Right? This is our marching orders. This is what we are called to do. We are called to make disciples. And that is not just the job of leadership pastors, elders, small group leaders. Like this is all of us. All of us are called to make disciples. 
So I just want to ask you, do we have singularity in the mission? Do we have an understanding? Like John knew, I'm only with these guys for so long until I can point them and direct them and, and, and hand them off to Jesus. And they begin following after Jesus. He says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Go follow him. And they did it, right? John had singularity around what he was called to do. And I just want to tell you, sometimes... I've, I've had many conversations with people. Like sometimes life just feels kind of off. Lately, I think like it's been, felt off for a lot of people. I don't know if we can put our finger on it. I don't know if we can like, I don't know if you're feeling that. I'm certainly feeling it. Just feels like things are like just things are kind of off. You know what I think the reason things feel off is? Because we have lost vision of the mission that we are on. We are called to make disciples, church. That is the singular thing that we are called to do. So when you go into work, yes, do jo- good job at your work. Like, do the things that you're paid to do, but you are called to make disciples. When you go to the gym, like, yeah, lift those heavy things. Like, run fast on that little track. Like, do whatever you do. Like, but you're called to make disciples, right? You go in, you get your mocha latte, and you need that. Like, go, go make disciples there. Like, as we meet, as we gather, as we are in homes, as we break bread, as we enter into this place, listen, church, we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the singular mission that we are on together. The way that we want to see that done around here, the vision that we have is that we would see lost, saved, saved, matured, matured, multiplied, and sent out. Where are you? Where are you? Are you part of that? Are you being matured? Are you being sent out? Are you multiplying yourself? Are you commissioning others? Listen, we cannot, I, I can't do this. Nobody can do this on their own. We all are part of this mission together, church. This is what it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ. This is what it means to live out the thing. And I promise you this, that when you get on board with this, right, when your life now has a singular focus around this mission, right, how am I making disciples of Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, the offness, right, the miss that we're kind of having is going to click. You're going to feel better. Like things are gonna make sense. Why? Because you're doing that which God intended you to do. He never intended to save you just to have you sit on the sidelines and watch this happen. He saved you. He redeemed you so that you would be in the game, part of the team, and that you would be sharing that with other people. He has uniquely gifted you. He's called you. You don't have to bring anything else to the table. He's given you everything that you need. And so you get some clarity around who he is and you begin telling other people. And that is when God is gonna do some incredible things, church. That is what God seeks to do through us. We are all witnesses to what Christ has done. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your saving work in our life. God, you came that you might reconcile to yourself the lost, Lord, those far from you, and that is the place that we all find ourselves. So this morning, I pray that we would have a good and right understanding of who you are, God, your saving nature. Lord, thank you for redeeming, making new, God, commissioning, bringing us to that place of mission. Lord, would you help us to carry that out? Lord, would you help us to look at and see this example that we have in John the Baptist, God, the witness of Christ before he came, Lord, do we have that same singularity? God, convict us, challenge us, encourage us in this mission. God, thank you for the example we have of John and many others, Lord, in the pages of our scripture. Help us to use that, God, to understand well. Lord, we want to point others to you. God, we direct our hearts now. God, we rejoice in who you are. God, remind us again, God, of your life, 
that's found in you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.